Borag Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 51st episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for July and August 1980, Progs 168 through 172. This week, the stainless steel rat saves the world, though it's not quite enough. And uh, Wolfie Smith opens an evil door, and we trip balls on Oracle Spice. <laughs> Dude, I uh, I wanted to come prepared to this with like Area 51 jokes, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not really good. <laughs> So, but you know, Area Fifty One space stuff, whatever. Let's talk about some rat. Yeah, man. Three hundred one, the stainless steel rat. So, uh, script robots: Kelvin Gosnell, art robot: Carlos Escara, lettering robot: Pete Knight. Once again, we're back into the time warp. Yeah, gonna go back in time. So, uh. <laughs> Slippery Jim DeGriz is in 1980. He's on the track of he, a uh, mysterious time-traveling evil genius kind of guy. Weird name for a dude, but all right. I mean, you know, it's the most generic name for a dude. Um, (laughs) But to get things set up in the past, Jim and his his, uh, partner, Slasher, a local motorcycle punk, are uh, robbing a bank. Uh, Motorcycle punk and uh, fascist supporter. I mean, the 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 two cross over pretty heavily, and especially in like your 1980s motorcycle punks. But all um, I'm saying is there are patches on his butt pockets that are definitely swastikas. Totally, yeah. So robbing the banks pretty easy with a uh, 300th century technology that um, <laughs> Jim Jim DeGriz. Yeah, he's got sonic lock picks. He's got echo sounders that erase walls, stuff like that. Until, of course, Slasher tries to jimmy open some safe deposit boxes, which sets off a silent alarm. And then he ditches Jim and takes the getaway car with him. But luckily, Jim DeGriz is kind of awesome and I guess just lies his way through everything. He knows what he's doing, dude. Yeah, he uh, he goes on the run. He takes down, a, down the police officers that chase him. He puts on one of the officers' uh, uh, uniform. And then he tries to escape low-key in a cop car. But after some uncareful driving, he ends up leading the local the local law enforcement um, on a high speed chase through city streets, eventually leading to a multi car pileup as he disappears into the night. Several bags of cash richer. It's very uh, Blues Brothers, actually. It's, it was kind of awesome. Yeah, it's just huge, like you know, sort of mid century sedans blasting through city streets, flying all over the place and stuff. Putting him in the past is, like, a really awesome idea. I just like how he just um, outclasses... Like, even in the future, he was outclassing everybody. But here, it's just like, listen, I can handle these monkeys, these primitive apes, you know? (laughs) So back at his hideout, Jim is getting readings on his time energy detector, and the hunt is on! So we flash to the uh, IPC America offices in New York City, which uh, may or may not (laughs) exist. (laughs) Where Jim prepares to confront he. But as he does, a ton of goons attack and subdue him. And we're finally confronted by he himself. He's kind of a lizardy human looking dude. Yeah, he's got big like a. Face. Yeah, he's got a big. He's got like long hair that's like skunk hair. That's like black on the sides <laughs> and white in the middle. It's true. Yeah. He says he'll win the future by destroying all of North America in the past. Which, I mean. Like, you don't have to destroy all of North America in the past to really fuck things up, as far as I could tell. It would mess things up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, in a really, really intense way, I guess. Hey, he doesn't... Like, you could just kill a guy. Nah, he doesn't... He he only believes in big gestures. <laughs> um, the uh, He's goons show Jim their time helix and this bomb that has... that's That's uh, got two billion megatons in strength. And then they toss Jim on a table and strap him down and just kind of leave him alone, classic Jim style. <laughs> it's like such a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, slippery Jim crunches on a false tooth. It's the Berserker Tooth! Oh my god, he's on drugs. Yeah, he gets super fast, super strong, super angry, mostly monosyllabic. He smashes through the building to find he... 
The two of them brawl around and Jim struggles mentally with killing He until the madman makes a dash for the time helix and Jim shoots him as he goes. Jim, so he's probably dead, right? Yeah, well, Jim. We check it out. <laughs> nah, Jim hits He and assumes that no matter where He goes, that, that, that the hit from that bullet will kill him. So now it's time to build his own time helix and head home. So, to build his own time helix, Jim's going to need a ton of money, and the best way to get it is to rob a Navy payroll for a million bucks, I guess. Which, like, of all the places, I think they just really wanted to dress him up in an army suit, have I, some cool copter shit. Yeah, it definitely feels like some of the uh, art here is, if not actual just tracing something is definitely photo referenced by some production films of like midway or some other kind of movie where james coburn wears a uh wears a, wears a uh, military uniform as like an actor you know man i've got it like that actually makes a lot of sense like it really looks a lot like his character in midway <laughs> this setup and stuff so um yeah so things are going good with the heist of the navy um yard <laughs> until <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> the actual Navy cops show up. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. You were blowing up our building. So Jim's surrounded, and he has got to lay down some diversions. He steals a helicopter and then ditches it over the ocean to cover his tracks. Uh, and he does not know how to fly a helicopter. He, like, he's, like, taking it off, and then it, like he's trying to get it out of the thing, but it flips upside down, and then somehow he gets it out. It's I really mean, he, he fakes it pretty well, dude. I've... I've flipped a helicopter so many times in like Battlefield, and that just means you die instantly. That <laughs> I got to appreciate his ability to keep it going. Um, Fair. Fair. <laughs> anyhow, Jim assumes that since the cop shows up to his bank robbery, that he must still be alive and has tipped them off, and thus is still alive. Which means instead right. of traveling home, <laughs> definitely can't be because he made some kind of mistake. No, of course not. So, um. <laughs> Instead of traveling home, Jim has to follow he and settle his hash. So, after about a month of getting things set up, Jim manages to uh, get all the materials he should need to build a time helix and sort of a fake um, job of owning some random like junk shop, basically. Wizard Electronics. Exactly. He um, so if he, now that he's ready. He downloads the recording of Professor Koipu's memory into his head to help him build the helix and track he. It works pretty well, actually. Um, like, within the space of a panel or so, the Helix is built, and we learn that he is currently in London sometime around 1805 to 1807. So, Jim's off even further into the past to save the world once more. Note that taking just, out the bomb earlier was the first world saving that we saw. <laughs> I just... <laughs> that's actually true. Yeah. I just want to say that, like, I know it to, like, maybe this weird future scientist guy like a range of years is like an okay thing to do mm -hmm. but if i was trying to like fix a bunch of shit i wouldn't want to just like show up at like you know 1801 or what the fuck ever and just have to wait three years <laughs> it's true it sounds horrible <laughs> well you know you can live it up i don't know there's cool stuff to do in 1801 london i guess get diseases i guess man you're gonna get diseases no matter where you go buddy that i know That's one true. i know history two i know you anyhow <laughs> <laughs> slippery jim arrives in london in 1807 and it's time to relax and chill in napoleonic england and, oh shit tank attack yeah what the hell <laughs> The, the goddamn French have conquered England thanks to their fleets of airplanes and tanks presumably brought to them by he through the same through his uh, time helix. And as he peers through binoculars, he totally confirms that. Yeah, yeah, we see he getting out of a jet fighter outside a conquered St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, Jim steals a French officer's outfit because if there's one thing Slippery Jim knows is that you got to beat somebody up and steal their clothes. <laughs> Good thing they always fit, you know? Yeah. He tries to infiltrate through London Bridge but realizes that they're screening people with a Geiger counter to enter the city proper and his futuristic body is way more radioactive than these mindless primitives. So, Pretty cool. rather than be caught, Jim jumps off the bridge into the Thames eventually emerging in Wapping, where he has a gun pulled on him from an off-screen hand. Don't move, scum! 
I was really hoping that this would be Professor Moriarty because he's dressed like Moriarty, but it wasn't. They got Man, really sad. Moriarty's like a hundred years later, like real talk. I know. Uh, the, the gun guy leads Jim to a carriage and starts talking about not needing a gun anymore. He introduces himself as Count de Hezion, a French royalist who wants to take down Napoleon and his pet he and the unnatural weapon that he has brought with him. The Count identifies Jim as also wanting this, and they agree to team up. The next day, De Grizz leads De Hezion's men on an assault of a French gun barge, and then use the captured 88mm flak gun <laughs> to destroy a span of London Bridge. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you just gotta get what looks like a small little dinghy boat with a giant cannon strapped to it. <laughs> hey man, that's how it works. Yeah. A Harrier jet flies out in response, but Jim is ready with a musket that he's converted into a missile launcher there you go i guess yeah in the confusion jim slips into saint paul's the gun on the guards unaware that he has a walking arsenal set to take down he next episode the rat bites so pretty good he blew up a lot of things and stole a lot of money yeah a lot of a lot of action this episode yeah a lot of a lot of crimes which i always appreciate i i worry sometimes with these stain like when they do stories like this you sort of start off with a thief and stuff that maybe halfway through just turns into an action story and the thief character stops doing crimes so i appreciate the continued crime action by (laughs) the stainless steel rat well, especially because, like, all right, look, they can hand wave it and just be like, he's the most amazing criminal, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. you know, you still want to see him do some crime, steal some money, Definitely. hire a, a weird Nazi thug to help him do it, which wasn't the greatest idea, but, you know, it worked out. I mean, listen, don't romanticize these motorcycle thugs too much, Fox. That's some, That's all I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> but, hey, speaking of characters who might not actually be that good of guys, Fox... Oh, God. Thrill to the mind of Wolfie Smith. He's such a dick. <laughs> so, script robots, Tom Tully, art robots, Jesus Redondo, lettering robots, Jack Potter. So, Wolfie, so uh, while leading a team of baddies into a research base, Wolfie Smith is suddenly paralyzed by the psychic power of some kind of evil force inside the base. His, and suddenly no one has skull masks on yeah, anymore. They, they all demask once they got through the first half of the base, I guess. But um, his evil chums make him keep going, and they eventually barge into the base. One of the toughs is shooting the guards instead of letting Wolfie zap them psychically, which Wolfie's not a fan of. Which, you know, I mean, in for a penny, man. If like you're in a base <laughs> at this point, people are going to get shot. It's true. Um, uh, eventually the team makes their way to the central lab but instead of finding the computers that control a bunch of nuke launches they find a mysterious door which gives Wolfie a sudden mental blast he sees all the different goons fighting against each other laughing as they kill each other enveloped in a strange yellow mist um, over the protests of, su- of several scientists and Wolfie, the other goons go to open the door, prepare for the yellow mist. It's biological. Uh, and once again, drugs. Hey, man, only the uh, only the middle letter of the ABC Warriors can help you now. But um, oh wow. <laughs> So the goons break into the cent- um, into the secure door of the lab, and they find just a bunch of like beakers and chemistry stuff instead of get real mad. Yeah, instead of nuke controlling computers. So despite all the protests of everybody that knows anything, the goons just shoot up all the lab stuff. <laughs> Which, like, clearly it's locked behind a door. Yeah, like an airtight, like uh, you know, enter on pain of death door or whatever. They don't care. <laughs> It spills all this yellow death all over the place, turning them all into burning, screaming, suicidal nutters. But how does Wolfie stop this from happening to him? Well, he protects himself with a big old psychic shield while everybody else starts killing each other, and then just kind of walks out the door, locks it behind him, and he's good to go. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, that sucked. I'm out. Yeah, until he hears a ton of security guards mobilizing to take him out. I mean, 
when aren't a bunch of security guards now trying to mobilize and take him out? It's true. The uh, guards are converging on Wolfie, still glowing from the power and the aftermath of all the goons and scientists dying. Feeling his aura weakening and worried about the guards as they open fire, he leaps through a window, blowing out the whole wall. Oh my god. Yeah. Escaping out into the forest through the maze of laser detectors, Wolfie realizes that he's still wearing that bomb collar and that the controller of it is back in the death room of the lab. Whoops. So, upon coming to a couple police officers, one with a motorcycle, one with a dog, he decides to lead the cops back to evil mob boss Kramer to try to get like a reward for turning Kramer in, basically. So, the way that he gets out of this situation is that he mind-controls a guy to sick the dog on the other cop. Yeah, definitely. That and doesn't then, seem like horrible things would happen at all. And then he steals the other the uh, the, the the other cop's motorcycle, and he rides off, goading the cops to come follow him. I, he's just like not a good person. Mm-mm. There's got to be a better way to do it to do things than this. <laughs> but so, uh. Wolfie's on the run from the cops, but he's all, um and he's leading them directly to Kramer. To do so, he's using a psychic shield to avoid gunfire, and he's dodging roadblocks by seeing them coming and sort of driving around them and stuff. He's really good at all the things. He's a psychic man. Suddenly, his psychic powers have gotten way more reliable and powerful. I'm just saying. Um, so, yeah. With the cops in hot pursuit, Wolfie bursts into Kramer's house <laughs> and explains this. really the, cool-looking thing. Yeah, he just sort of, like, like just destroys the whole front of the house as he enters it. Um, he explains the situation. All of Kramer's goons are dead, including the ones that had the remote bo- the remote for his bomb collar, and he wants the collar removed. Even as the cops are starting to surround the building, Kramer says he's looking for the key, but in fact he's looking for the other bomb trigger. And I just want to say in this next part, the thing that I said that he should have done at the beginning. He just does that to get out of this Yeah, totally. Yeah. Even as the cops are about to arrest him, Kramer will take Wolfie with him. So, as Kramer begins his pre-murder monologue, uh, Wolfie concentrates. (laughs) He's got to teleport away, but not teleport the uh, bomb collar with him, which seems complicated. He tries to do it, and he succeeds. But He's done it before. Well, but he hasn't only teleported part of himself, right? Like he he teleports himself and all the stuff that's attached to him. So that's it's true. a little it's more difficult. Yeah, so it's a little more difficult to leave the collar behind. Anyhow, <laughs> the science of espers. I don't know, man. But he lands in a nearby river where the cops find him. Wolfie agrees to come with them and leads them to Harry Kramer. The co- the cops investigate the house that Kramer was in, but instead of the mob boss, they find a time bomb attached to dynamite. Oh my god, everyone exploded. Yeah, it explodes. One of the cops, uh, Ken uh, Dawson, uh, takes the majority of the blast and he's rushed to the hospital. The cops don't know how Wolfie fits into all this stuff, but he's the only survivor of the whole lab caper. (laughs) And thus, he'll bear the brunt of the punishment if Ken Dawson dies. And in which case, he'll be on the hook for murder. I don't know. And that's the end of Wolfie Smith for this month. And forever? No, no, no. Um, A little bit. We got a little bit more Wolfie Smith. (sighs) All right. I mean, but it's the same stuff we've been saying. Yeah. Like his, his, his powers have a real wide range in terms of strength and reliability. And he doesn't seem like a very good guy. Yeah. It's kind of, um, it's Mach one all over again. Yeah. In a younger shell. And he's even more morally questionable than Mach 1 is, who's still basically just kind of a (laughs) government agent guy. Like, you know, he's okay. What happens when you give a weird sex pervert superpowers? Oh, man. That's that's accurate, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Fox. Yes, sir. Speaking of weird powers given to weird people. Oh, no. Let's go to... Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. So, script robot is uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant, both writing as John Howard. Art robots Ron Smith, Nick McMahon, and Brian Bolland. And the lettering robot is Tom Frame. 
Tom Frame in the house. Tom Frame forever. Um, so as two alien races fight for fun and is and our TV broadcast to the alien planet of Argos, Dredd and Hershey have arrived and started gutting their way through a team of cyber knights before they realize what's happening. I gotta say, I'm I really like the frog people that are like televising this yeah, whole thing that do all the announcing and stuff it's funny because they yeah. all kind of they all kind of dress like reporters with like fedoras and trench coats and stuff it's just smoking little cigars and yeah. being adorable <laughs> so soon the halftime whistle blows and the war referees rule the judges neutral hazards that can't be the <laughs> battlefield until the battle is over it's a very interesting thing to just have a sentient life form be called a neutral hazard in a war game. It's like when a when an alligator crawls onto the golf course. You know, you keep playing. You just gotta like <laughs> watch out. Watch out for the gator. You know, and oh if, it, if it lands in that gator's head, you're gonna have to play it like it lies, buddy. That's sort of the 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 challenge that you've accepted as a uh, as a golf as a golfer. You know. <laughs> the game of life or death golf exactly so once their translators kick in uh dread and hershey are nonplussed but mostly could just kind of whatever to find out about this turn of events <laughs> well and that's after trying to get kissed by these weird orc people well because they saved the other the uh the uh the non the non tech knight team, so they're being so the uh, the other team's very being very ha- uh, friendly to them, and Hershey's like, yeah, I get these guys off of me, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> weird. Yeah. Well, but she's not too worried about the weirdness because one of the reporters asks her like, hey, like you're from you're from Earth, like are you freaked out by all these aliens? And she's like, nah, I expected there'd be weirdos on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, it's really great. Hershey's. Yeah. Hershey's turned out to be a real, uh, real card. Hershey's fun, dude. So, um, the uh, the side dread and Hershey have been helping out. The uh, Lurgans are for the second half of the war issued these sweet giant war wheels. Oh my god, they're the coolest things ever. Yeah. Well, the other side gets way less awesome tanks. The war wheels are just these big tubes that have like uh, Venetian blinds all around them, and the blinds like slap up and have guns that come out of one side, but the guns keep facing forward as the wheels on the end of each one of the tubes like spin and stuff. It's real cool. Well, because like the the ends of the giant tube itself is also shooting a giant laser. Everything. It's just there's these big tubes that are covered in guns. I'm really in favor of it. It's the best kind of like log defense I've ever seen. Yeah, like uh like I feel like Ron Smith isn't that good at drawing her. She kind of has some problems sort of getting her hair right and stuff. Mm. But his um you know this sort of like mass chaos stuff is really what we what we expect out of Ron Smith. You know, he's the guy who does all these like uh big mega city one being destroyed by various apocalypses and stuff and he's really in his element drawing this cra- these crazy huge battle scenes. I'm really into it. Yeah. So, Dredd's pretty tired of all this slaughter for fun. You know, we've seen him be anti-televised war before, like back on the moon and stuff. Mm. So, he decides to end things early. He grabs the Lurgan flag and takes off on his bike. Uh, The next prog goes pretty quick. Basically, just Dredd drives the Lurgan flag to the end zone as Hershey provides covering fire and various alien war announcers and and pundits argue about whether this is a legal action or not. Um, Dread ends the war prematurely and as a reward is told to find Oracle Spice on the nearby planet Necros. But FYI, that's an evil, that's an evil old planet. (laughs) I don't know. What gave that shit away? Dread is not worried about it being evil and the judges head out as another battle brews on planet Argos. Of course. Hey, that's what you do. So... Mm -hmm. The Justice One approaches the planet Argos as we see a creepy dread voodoo doll full of pins. Oh, uh, it's really actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's neat. A huge cloud of vapor rises from the planet, turning into a gigantic evil frog wizard guy with big claws. Never a good thing when a planet does that. Mm-mm. It attacks the Justice One, cutting big holes in the ship with its fingernails, and then like monsters fly in and attack the crew as they land on the planet. Though when they land, the monsters disappear, and it's time to head out. It's um, like weird what-the-hell illusion, not illusion shit. Exactly, yeah. Dread goes on his own. 
um, and encounters the ancient city of Necros, where the townsfolk are currently sacrificing ten fat dudes, which are 40 days of feeding to the great Murd, Lord of Darkness. Which I guess is just a thing you do when you have an evil... I like how they, keep, how they keep making a big deal that it's fat guys that they're sacrificing. <laughs> they really, like, it's underscored a lot. Yeah. So from Murd's giant pile of stones-like castle, we see these guys called the Watchers come forth, which are these awesome aliens. They've got these giant eye stalks coming off of their heads, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of skull imagery on their swords and armor, so you know they're bad guys. Um, oh, Plus, they can shoot giant lasers out of their mouths. Yes. So Dread starts taking them down, and inside the castle we see the evil Murd the Oppressor. And he's a greater demon. He's kept this planet in darkness for 10,000 years. He traps Dread in a big clear bubble, and then as he stabs the Dread voodoo doll with a pin, a watcher stabs Dread with his big old great sword. No! Oh my god! <laughs> Next prog, we see the fat guys being sentenced to hideous sack belly, the Lord of Toads, and it's Merg's really greatest awesome. pet. Yeah, he's just a just a big old man eating toad. <laughs> You're just going to drop a guy down a cool, fun stone slide, and they're going to slip down, and a big old frog's going to go like... I think it's good that you can have fun on the slide before you get eaten alive by a giant toad tongue. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, you want to you wanna go out with a thrill, right? Yeah, exactly. So the sword is removed from Dread, and he comes back alive seemingly unhurt. Dread demands the oracle spice, and Murd just laughs. The spice comes from the war- from a wart on the hind quarters of hideous sack belly. Butt wart, butt wart drugs. Always, yeah. He excretes one drop of oracle spice per life he takes. What lives? Mm-hmm. The power of the spice has allowed both of both both uh, sage belly and uh, Murd to have uh, lived for thousands of years. I With- guess that's just what happens. With that said, Murd throws Dread into Sage into Sagebelly's maw. Dread still has his boot knife though, and he stabs the toad in the face, getting thrown <laughs> getting thrown free. And so he grabs a little wall spike and he's gonna stab him again. Yeah. With a final warning, Dread has his lawmaster bike fire flares, which illuminate the constant night and freak out Murd, and so distracted, <laughs> Dread knocks the necromancer into the toad pit, and Murd is eaten by his own monster. He looks like uh he kinda looks like a Muppet in the shot. He's definitely got a very kind of like mu- like frog Muppet kind of look, basically. Mm. Um so, Dread snags the Oracle Spice and destroys the pedestal used to make it, as the Ghost of Murd explains that only a wizard with 10,000 years of experience can use the Oracle Spice, and even then it's dangerous. So, of course, who else would you use it on but a well, wizard with 10,000 years of experience? Hold on, hold on, because Dread heads out and he notices that Sage Val- that hideous Sage Valley has died after eating Murd. Must have been something he ate. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyhow, smash cut to an alien world where all the buildings are shaped like random stuff, like a like a shoe or a bunch of coffee cups or other things like that. Yeah, like roads that lead to nowhere and people yeah. doing shit that doesn't make sense. On this planet, an Earthman has come down with jigsaw disease. And it's horrible. Jigsaw disease is pretty terrible, dude. Basically, random shapes disappear out of your body, but your body still retains all of its, like, form and ability and stuff. So, like, in this case, like, for this guy, there's a huge, like, fist-sized, like, perfectly square hole going right through his stomach or, like, a triangle missing from a corner of his head and stuff. It's not like he's had a hole driven through him or anything like that. It's just, like, um... He just has it missing. Similarly, like, there's just, like, a disc of his, like, left leg that's just gone completely, but the rest of his leg is still basically attached to the rest of his body and stuff like that. So, like, you know... like really horrific. Yeah, it's like the palm of your hand can disappear, but you'll still be able to use your fingers. They'll just be, like, floating there where they would normally be. It's it's crazy. Uh. 
So, the disease is sadly fatal. Meanwhile, on the Justice One, we've got the Oracle Spice. Taking it will likely kill the user. Lopez, you're up. No, it's not because of your mustache. <laughs> He's really... That was my favorite part of this. Why me? It's because of my mustache, isn't it? Get down there. So He's Lop- like, no, your personal... Your personality profile shows you to be the most unstable member of this crew. <laughs> Obviously the mustache. So uh <laughs> Amazing. So Lopez is strapped down, he's given a drop of the Oracle Spice, he starts tripping out immediately. Oh my god. We see like Murd and Sagebelly and a crazy mustache frog and all kinds of other stuff. Weird. Finally, Lopez gives his prophecy. Bedlam, bedlam, but hurry. All the king's horses can't put Humpty together again. Lopez goes into a coma, and Dredd puts a search in and finds the planet AB, a strange abnormal planet. <laughs> so... Uh- Lopez is in a coma, fading away as they arrive, and Dredd heads out. The authorities say another human, a guy named Prosser, arrived a few weeks ago, and we soon learn that he's the guy that contracted the jigsaw disease. And he's now missing even more parts yeah, of his body. He's freaking out about it, and he's st- really starting to lose pieces real quickly. He finds a jar of jigsaw pills in the sick bay. He assumes they're a cure that the aliens have been holding out on him on. He grabs them and runs. But... Dread arrives, and um, the aliens reveal that, in fact, those pills are like a mercy drug that accelerate the jigsaw process to allow for, like, a quick death, basically. It's, uh... It's not looking great. Basically, Dredd has to find Prosser in the next hour, or Prosser will fade away completely. Next episode, Prosser, The Puzzle, and Paw Angel. Oh, man. We're coming to a head here. It's really getting, things are real get, getting real heavy in um, this quest for the Judge Child, dude, for sure. I like, I really liked this whole run for Judge Dredd. It was super bizarre. Yeah, man, there's just all this alien stuff, then a necromancer, and just um, <laughs> the combination of the Oracle's spice and this dude with, jigsaw, with a jigsaw disease. Like, it's funny because we get the three big... Um, Dread artists of this era, you know, uh, Bolland, McMahon, and um, and Ron Smith, and all of them sort of do really good, like really kind of play to their strengths in each in each comic. With you know, Ron Smith doing these big crowd scenes, Mick McMahon doing these crazy monsters and like uh, built up, um, like 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 built up edifices and other kind of crazy technical things, and then Brian Ballin kind of sweeping in with like combining re- like his really realistic style with just um, crazy ass surreal stuff that really kind yeah, of combines man. for a really great like like this is th- this this sort of set of progs really great example of these sort of two of these Judge Dredd artists I think. Well, and any time that you like have a necromancer in a comic book i'm pretty excited to be perfectly frank definitely it happens more often than you'd think in 2000 ad to be honest which is why it's amazing (laughs) exactly hey speaking of things that might not be as amazing non-thrills covers nerve center seven wonders of the galaxy starting with the prog 168 Mick McMahon does a really, a truly classic, I'd say, Judge Dredd cover mm-hmm. with Dredd holding a rifle, sitting on a bullet-ridden word crime, and says, any questions? I don't have any. He's Britain's number one comic hero. That's right. A version of this cover would actually be redone for the 2000th prog of 2000 AD last year. Like, that's like how iconic oh, cool. this thing is. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Um... In the nerve center, Thar- Thargosaurus Plug- Rex. It's the Thargosaurus Rex. It's so awesome. <laughs> and Tharg plugs the sci-fi special, which we read last episode. Tharg admits that he, uh, what he looks like without his mask on, exactly <laughs> like regular Tharg, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, Mid Prog, there's a couple alien pictures, including a mighty Mechquake two. And a, yes. a huge ad for the upcoming return of Johnny Alpha, as well as the debut of Mean Arena and Meltdown Man, and a Sweet Judge Dread badge all coming up in Prog 178. But um, nothing would be complete 
without the seven wonders of the galaxy. Yeah, it's the final wonder of the galaxy, the tomb of the Hosti, built in 2841. It's a giant mile-long tomb for the Chakan and his mighty warrior race. Oh, it's so awesome. It's it was basically that he had this oracle that would like chill out with them, tell them what was going to happen. It was always true. And that oracle was like, dude, if we keep doing this crazy shit. You're going to end up in ruins. And so what did he do? Build a giant space coffin for him and all of his people to die in. Oh, yeah. So Prog 169, it's the first of two double-sized poster covers this episode. This one is by Mick McMahon, showing dread in the middle of the Civil War in the the post-atomic America. And awesome. Uh, as a uh, picture of Tharg in a teddy boy suit, he warns <laughs> us of the of the thrill power coming in 178. And a kid writes with his listing of the top two thousand of the top ten 2080 characters. There is a surprising amount of ties and co winners. To be honest, like number one is like a t- is a tie. Like what are you doing here, kid? This is not a good, well researched list. <laughs> I, and I mean, I get it about jim de grizz but judge dread is like kind of the clear top well like if you're gonna number them dude just have the courage of your convictions if you got 15 tops just make it the top 15 also (laughs) what the hell is the gronk doing at number three maybe he's a star lord fan so he's got more gronk stuff i don't know (laughs) Mm -hmm. rojas and hammerstein makes a lot of sense then for number two i mean Mm -hmm. i would put them there yeah they're fun you know what are you gonna do you know 170, it's Mick McMahon's third cover this month with as a uh, crazy voodoo alien menaces dread trapped inside a crystal ball. Yep. In the nerve center, it's time for 2000 Scotty with Tharg the Rude Boy Boy. Um, <laughs> uh, Julian Merriman of uh, Swimbren draws a pretty sweet uh, picture of a sinning centaur that wins 10 pounds. I am pro centaurs. I just want you to know. I want everyone to know. I am pro centaurs. They are the coolest thing. That's fair. Um, the, a writer demands a Tharg Doctor Who crossover. Another That'd has be cool. a yeah. Another has a list of the top ten tracks in the galaxy. Number eight is Mac Mac by Ursa and the Chop Chops. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, at the end of this of this prog fox, we've been dancing around it. But what I demand to know: What is your favorite Walls Isolali? Do you like the Incredible Hulk one with the green outside and the pink inside? The Black Hole one with the black outside and the raspberry red inside? Uh, do, you, do you like the one where the monster appears on the wrapper while you eat the ice lolly? Or the one that's like a foot long and shaped like a foot? I demand answers! A black hole every time. And also because it kind of looks like the movie poster and black hole was a good movie. And also, they're kind of neat. Maybe it's like... Uh... Maybe it's like watermelon flavor, and I think watermelon's a good flavor for like ice pops. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted by the black hole one too, just because I bet like your tongue is just jet black after you eat that thing, and that's kind of fun. Oh yeah. But I gotta go with that Bigfoot one, dude. It's a foot long of um <laughs> of ice lolly, and I need a big ice lolly for my big uh, summer adventures. You know. <laughs> yeah, dude. When you're a big. You're a big kid. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big kid. I need a big ice lolly. Anyhow. Yeah, I, but, I mean, I guess if we're asking questions here, are you entering the fairy soap carving competition? Oh, I forget what that one is. I know I'm sending away for a new stamp collector's outfit. Um, <laughs> fuck these ads. They're all so weird, dude. <laughs> it's like, who is doing soap carving? All right, listen, if you did soap carving as a kid and you're listening to this podcast, like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> I want to I wanna know about your weird 70s English hobby. Yeah, no, I need to know. <laughs> I need to know what the fuck that was like. Exactly. In uh, Prog 171, it's our second poster cover for the week, showing us a general overview of the stainless steel rat saves the world. It's a pretty sweet pair, uh, panorama by Carlos Escara. It looks like a movie poster. It really, really make this a movie. It's a super like Star Wars style uh, movie poster where you just have everything that happens in the movie all at once on one poster. I actually miss movie posters that do that. Yeah, they brought them back for the new Star Wars, and I and I really I also appreciate them. I like that style of just like you know here's a bunch of heads and a bunch of action and like we're just gonna get this thing going. 
you're, <laughs> dude, you're gonna see these things. This is how cool this movie is. Exactly. Um, in the at the nerve center, Tharg is a, is a Morris dancer, and he tells us about a big Weird. comic book competition coming at the end of August. <laughs> oh, the page count thing was really yeah. awesome. By yeah. the way, he uh, he Tharg debuts the word uh, Gaffelbetty, which means. At, out of this world and the best letter for sure is a listing of all the pages of the different thrills that have come that that take up space from Prague 1 to 163 the long-term launch titles are of course the top with like dread dandare mach 1 invasion and robo hunter forming the top couple this count was done by a young reader named Simon Pegg but based on my research it's not that Simon Pegg <laughs> Simon Pegg, not that one. Yeah. All I'm saying is that Timequake has an alarmingly like small amount of pages, considering shit like Angel and fucking Colony Earth and Death Planet. I mean, Timequake was only in there for like four progs, which is even I less know, than like the I've six that Angel was in. That's why we gotta gotta once we finally finish this in like uh, you know 2026 or something, we gotta go back and do the Star Lords and whatever. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> um, uh, Mid prog, there's a quiz about whether you could be a VC, but I forgot to test Fox about it beforehand, so whatever. <laughs> yes, because I know how to vape. Yeah, the questions are all pretty straightforward. VCs are bold and take action, though they also do try to call for reinforcements as well. There's a huge ad in this prog to take part in this big IPC comic book convention. For £24, you and a parent or guardian can go for the event for two days and stay at the London Penta Hotel, which is now the Holiday in London Kensington Forum. <laughs> and All right. you'll also get a uh, sweet full English breakfast. I'm not a fan of morning beans or fried tomatoes myself, but I also don't judge. <laughs> I don't think you really... I don't know anyone who eats the tomatoes or the pudding. I mean, I'm interested. Again, once again, listeners, interested in hearing your, your full English breakfast com opinions. Anyhow. Like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> in 172, Lopez is freaking out on, or on Oracle Spice. <laughs> and for whatever reason, he's drawn with gray hair. I don't know. Um... And uh, Brian Bollins here to document it. In the Nerve Center, Tharg is writing a bantha from Empire Strikes Back. And, Pretty cool. Yeah, and all the letters are about the five weeks without progs in May and June. Th those, those have sort of started to roll in. Yeah. Lots of people are bummed to have been deprived of thrill power. Uh, Mid-prog, there's a huge list of 2080 birthday prize winners. And there's an ad for both the, the 2080 and Judge Dredd annuals, which we'll be looking at in, a, in an episode or two. And a weird opposite crane called Bulgorth. <laughs> um, there is also a uh, another yeah another alien d d design contest winner. I'm partial to the big-eyed, big-mouthed alien called the Krieger. I'm uh, I'm really partial to Tharg personally, mm. but if I had to choose, yeah, the Krieger because it, I mean it looks like testicles with eyes and mouth. So. Always. <laughs> At the end of the prog, we see Dread looming over Mega City One. Um, he's he's been out of town for for sixteen progs and I'll be gone for about another nine or so. But don't worry, baby, Daddy's coming home soon. And you will be punished. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, speaking of punishing people while traveling through Space Fox. Oh my God. Thrill for the VCs, dude. Some really serious shit happens. This totally, time. yeah. Script robots Jerry Finley Day, art robots Gary Leach and Cam Kennedy. Lettering robot is of course the Aldrich Mark II. So, angry over the death of Dwarf Star, um, his fellow VC member uh, Steve Smith heads out to kill the dishwasher, the uh, like diplomatic political head of the uh, invasion of the geek worlds that he's currently a part of. With drugs. With a drug yeah. needle. He's got a, got a needle gun. He barges in on the dishwasher as we see him gloating over his victory over the geeks, even at fairly high losses to the uh, human side. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah. This is reinforced a lot. Definitely. Yeah, so Steve's about to make his move when he sees a guard globe over the dishwasher's head. So he sees that he knows that if he makes a move, he'll be greased by the globe. No, oh, no. 
uh, he pulls back his attack and knocks out Hensho when he sees his fellow VC going for a similar move. The dishwasher remains anti-VC, though, so he sends the remaining three troopers in on another infiltration mission. It's like really, I mean, yeah, not a great idea, but I guess whatever. Hey, you know, this guy's a bad dude, that's how it goes. Um, the, uh, the team warps into a developed system. Could it be the Geek Home World? Oh my god, it's got like... 20 moons that kind of make up a wall i guess and the planet's really big yeah it's cool yeah it's it's good but oh geez they're under attack from geek forces surprise yeah the vc start taking down geeks but it's no use uh they're taking hits and have to bail out but there's only enough escape capsules for for two of them and uh, so Smith's like, hey, let's stick around. But Hensho's like, oh, I got hit with shrapnel, so you guys are going to go. I'm going to save you two. He jump kicks both Smith and Loon and so stuffs cool. them into the pod, covering their escape. We're running low on VCs as Smith and Loon rocket to safety. And I don't know about you, but Loon was... It's not a great choice to have at the bitter end. <laughs> no, man. Loon's gone full crazy. Loon and Smith drop on a moon above the Geek homeworld, and Loon is losing it. He's like a kid playing games, even as Geek patrols get closer and closer. After a pitched battle, Loon also buys the farm along with a Geek fighter, but there's no time for Smith to mourn as he suddenly sees Loon and Henshaw in Alive with their buddy Smith. Wait a minute. He's their buddy Smith. What the heck's going on here? Oh my god, they they got the idea from us to wear weird costumes yeah. now. The geeks are dressing up like humans to fool the human fleet. I learned from watching you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Heroin commercial. See, it's all it's all drugs. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So we uh we jumped to Prague 171 because the VCs t- took 170 off. Um. The, uh, so as we rejoin the VCs, we see that the geeks' plan is simple. Send fake humans back to the fleet, give false intel to lead the human fleet into an ambush. As yeah, the, seems easy enough. Yeah. As the infiltrators make their way to their ship, Smith ambushes the geek version of himself, takes it out, and boards the ship pretending to be the geek... So he's a dude, pretend to be a dude, pretend to be another dude, Tropic Thunder style. Oh my god. It's genius. Yeah. Things It'll are going, never be discovered. Things are going okay, but as the infiltrators approach the fleet, they notice that Smith is bleeding real blood from a cut he got taking down the fake version of himself. Oh my god, that's not one of us. Uh, he's, he's bleeding, bleeding his own blood. blood. <laughs> the infiltrators knock Smith out and prepare to enact their evil plan. Well, there you go. Yeah, Smith comes to to find the flagship crawling with geeks. He's got to stop them. He ambushes a couple and makes his way through the ship, noting that the geeks are massacring their way through, killing crewmen and smashing intercoms. Oh my god. At the sick bay, he finds two survivors, though. The blind Sergeant Jupe and the shell-shocked Ringer. This is, once again, the worst possible combination of people you could get in a situation. Yeah, I mean, like I mean they aren't the best, but they'll have to do, I guess. And Jupe's yeah. actually a pretty good fighter when he can get his hands on the enemy, basically. It's true. He gets a, a friggin' geek into a stranglehold with his arm, just like yeah. I'm gonna crack brain. It's pretty cool. Using a scanner, the boys look at the bridge and find the geeks forcing the dishwasher to send the fleet into an ambush. Jupe and Smith have a plan, though. They'll cut the flagship's power to prevent the message from going out. They head to the power room, and they can't afford to fail, or it'll be the biggest slaughter the galaxy's ever seen. Next episode, Wipeout. Oh my god. <laughs> VCs, uh, I, it's kind of following the the invasion track now. Like, just everyone's dying. Just yeah. waiting for Smith to, like, ride off into the sunset after everyone's dead. It's definitely, um, sort of, as the, as this one reaches its uh, finale, as you're sort of, we're, we're, we're sort of peeling off more and more dudes. Um, sucks, man. Cause yeah. I, I was just growing to like the VCs. It was getting super dark. I mean, it's still there. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Hey, speaking of uh, dramatic deaths of uh, important characters, Fox. Oh. Thrill 5, Robo Hunter. Script robot for Robo Hunters, John Wagner, writing his TV Grover. Art robots, Ian Gibson, lettering robot, Steve Potter. So, okay. 
<laughs> what happens when you set fire to an entire place and a bunch of political elites wake up? Well, luckily, the political the suspended animation saved the political elites from being killed when the team X were destroyed by the flames, and the, so the big wigs are now waking up from suspended animation. The, Sweet, all is well that ends well. Oh, you wish. The mayor and the other <laughs> city council dudes are skeptical about Sam Slate's explanation about the Day of the Droids until Hoagie directs them to the TV where the Day of the Droids is indeed underway. Oh my God, their tanks rolling down the street. Yeah. There's robots all, all over the place. The fake mayor, in response to a supposed uprising by non-robot police officers, has given control of the city to the god droid who implements martial law and legalizes all rackets. Yeah, so better report to the local racket buses and get your racket sticker. <laughs> you can now be arrested for not paying protection money or gambling. Um, what the fuck? So, we can't fight this army of droids without our own army of droids. Sam calls the union leader Molotov, currently working at the restaurant where he uh, serves cocktails while berating human customers, and has him come down Dude, to like, Roboland to negotiate. <laughs> Go ahead. Throwing drinks in their face and, like, spraying soda water in them. It's like, what? It's definitely like your most angry um, communist friend in college that would just sort of start yelling at people about uh, being capitalists and stuff. But, like, if he also <laughs> worked at Starbucks and yelled at people who were ordering coffees and stuff. It's like... Man, you're supporting the system you're in. Yeah. So uh, Molotov comes down, and so Molotov's going to come down, and Sam, meanwhile, sets the Roboland uh, park robots to manual override, causing a ton of remote control robot celebrities and monsters and stuff to start taking down uh, mob droids. At least until. Scooch's routine for it. It's awesome, yeah. Uh, This all goes on at least until Molotov himself shows up and makes a pretty cogent point that uh, the the best way to get the robot union on your side is probably not to use robots to kill other robots. Anyhow. The robot war is on, old-timey monsters, rockets, Attila the Huns, all (laughs) kinds of robot performers are all fighting gangster bots. I do like that the Rockettes are just kicking a line of, like, (laughs) robo-gangsters in the face. It's pretty awesome. Meanwhile, the mayor and Molotov work work behind closed doors to come to an agreement. They do, and Molotov calls for a general robot strike. Oh my god, and this, like, giant screeching noise goes out across the city, and all these robots just rush. Robots from all over the city converge on RoboWorld. Robot pallbearers leave with the body. Robot (laughs) firefighters leave people inside burning buildings. Robot American football players leave the field with the ball and head out. And, like, when they amass... I'm actually surprised at the number of robots that just have televisions for faces. <laughs> it's cr- Yeah, there's just a huge mass of robots. The god droid declares war on the strikers, and a huge robot army converges on Roboland, and Molotov ex- extorts them to go fight against the god droid. The war is on! Raise the and- robot, the android banner high beneath its shade, we'll fight and die. It's pretty morbid, I guess. But hey, let's go fight some other robots. It's cool, dude. The, the war's over way, and the first casualties are the two Robo-Slades. No! Uh, I love how they go down, and they're just like, dude, we're the best. We're so great, and so are you, because we're all Sam Slades. I appreciate um, Sam's re- regard for himself, can, um, go- crossing species lines and stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Go robots! I mean, go Sam Slade. Hey, we can share the we 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 can share the good robots. Uh, Slade, Hoagie, and Molotov are pinned down in a shop by a bunch of gangsters, but Molotov is able to quickly radicalize these gangsters and start them striking too, which I thought was hilarious. Fair pay for foul play and no extermination <laughs> without rumination. <laughs> So, as the battle heats up, things escalate quickly. The god droid calls in huge National Guard bots, and Molotov counters with even bigger construction droids. 
The war is starting <laughs> to get extremely destructive. So the mayor talks to Sam directly. He wants to have Sam assassinate the god droid to um, end the conflict, and a human being doing it will make things easier in the aftermath. Anyhow, Slade's all they've got, so it's time to move out. All I have to say is that giant construction droid that they brought in, mm-hmm. that droid does big jobs. I mean, there's some there's some medium to large size jobs going on throughout this battle scene, these battle scenes. <laughs> I'm so, pro big jobs. Just want you to know. <laughs> totally, yeah. Fox is uh, Mechquake's granddad or something. Uh, so, <laughs> it's time to assault the God Droid HQ. Sam teams up with the robot football players, and there's a powerful football shaped bomb that he'll deliver to the God Droid. They're gonna get him in range. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like this whole next series of things is just rah, 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 yeah. running around with football players. Aboard a stolen god droid tank accompanied by robot cheerleaders and a super angry foot, uh, robot football coach that's like 80% mouth. The attack is on. <laughs> Luckily, the mob droids are willing to play ball and suddenly we're like huddling up and we're taking proper downs and stuff until suddenly the robo the robo monster the robo mobsters find out that Sam is planning to kill the god droids and now it's time for more conventional mayhem. <laughs> um, God, I just the ridiculousness that this turns into the mad TV s or mad comic esque yeah. like, ridiculous. No, it's just it's turned to eleven. It's just full chaos as the uh, gangster as the gangster bots open fire on the football droids. The football bots are having trouble against the gangster bots. Um, as the coach bot flies around yelling at them, Sam makes a rush for the door and gets the football bomb knocked out of his hands, but it doesn't explode. So what? Maybe it's a dud. Oh no! Meanwhile. The god droid is yelling at his goons and getting a medical checkup. His oil pressure is dangerously high. He he calls in his number one hit squad to take down Molotov, but they're on strike. Pay up, GD. God droid is so pissed at this, at these double-timing commie creeps, that he falls down and has a pump attack. Oh my god. Back outside as the melee ranges, Sam and Hoagie make an end run into Mob HQ. Orlansky, the the robot quarterback, makes a final desperate pass and sends the bomb into the arms of Slade. It's complete! So now, Sam and Hoagie have to take down the god droid on their own, possibly with a dud bomb. Oh man, the tension! Next episode, Sam bakes a cake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... It's just he—he's a very formidable football player. He's pretty good, dude. <laughs> dude, he makes—he makes it and crashes through a window. You can't—you just don't have that kind of style on the field, Conrad. <laughs> Absolutely. All you right. Really should have done a dance after that. Hey, speaking of um, humans succeeding thanks to robot assistance, let's go to Thrill 6, Rojaw's Robot Tales. I mean, really, that's just a thing that always happens. I mean, humans are very capable. This story is uh, The Killer in the Cab, script robot Alan Moore, art robot John Richardson, lettering robot Tom Frame. Watch your humans. It's Alan Moore's first story of the regular progs. A space trucker named Sundodger is marooned on a dead world because his ship's security system thinks he's a hijacker. His ankle is broken and he's low on oxygen and all seems lost. Then another trucker, um, Andromeda Angel, answers his distress call. She walks him through deactivating his truck's AI, enabling him to survive and continue his journey. Hooray! Um... He makes dinner plans with Angel and thanks her for saving him. After all, we humans have to stick together. But then it turns out that Andromeda Angel is actually a lady robot truck driver. A beep beep beep. <laughs> She's pretty cute. Yeah, like this, yeah. robot driver. Yeah. Yeah, this this is a fun kind of punchline story. Um, of just like you know. I like the robot trucking and sort of having to solve a logic puzzle and stuff like that. A, a good first outing by uh, by Moore here in the props. There is, there is a weird love that these comic book writers have of truckers. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, um, man, we haven't even really gotten to it yet. Like, we've just kind of had that one side character and that Strontium Dog story and this. Like, where do we get to Ace Trucking and it's just 100% this sort of stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> with so the space bizarre. truckers in the future. <laughs> I, I'd be down with that. I mean, that's really, that's the, the start of Alien. Hey, man, you're you're going to be down with it soon enough. Anyhow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's it for thrills this month, Fox. What is your, what thrill, what, what had the most thrill power for you this, this month of uh, July and August 1980? So, yeah, I, I mean, I give it up to Judge Dredd, like, this month. It was, like, a really fantastic outing. It's kind of, it, you start from this really ridiculous war and warlogs and go to warlocks and then go to <laughs> a super strange planet uh, of AB where things are just like really bizarre and uh, like it's it's a very cool thing to just kind of check out because where it ends in sort of surreal sense is, is really great and it's not that like stainless steel rat or um or Robo Hunter didn't capture my attention. Those are both like good for the obvious reasons, but damn, Judge Dredd did a really hands down great job. Like the thrillingest of the thrills this month. Uh, yeah. Nice. And then what? Uh, what would you say had the least Wolfie thrill Smith. power? <laughs> Fair. I mean, <laughs> like it's. I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm sure like Tully and everybody like worked super hard on this. Probably. I mean, I'm making some assumptions there. It's just I, I fucking hated it. I like <laughs> whatever. Anyway, hey Conrad, what was the thrillingest thrill? What was the thrill power overload you received for this month? Whoa, um, man, I really, you know, like I, like I've said previously, like Judge Dredd really in the catbird seat for me in terms of like, you know, it's other. Um, stories like sort of, or it's Judge Dredd's to lose in terms of being the best of the week of the month. You know, um, mm-hmm. this was a really good Judge Dredd, just for the same reason you said with all the dimension hopping and stuff like that. Um, I think actually though, I might give it to Robo Hunter this week um, nice. or this episode. This has all the stuff that I loved about the previous Robo Hunter story. Just a whole yes. bunch of different robots all fighting each other. It really gives. Uh, Gibson a really awesome chance just to shine with his ability to draw just like all these different really awesome looking robots and like also but also like celebrities and other things like that have them <laughs> yeah. all sort of fight and cut each other's heads off and stuff and then oh, why not for both Wagner and Gibson just to get completely loony just like um, <laughs> Like yeah, it's just kind of turned like it just kind of turns into a football game at the end. I don't know, just like this um, this madcap action that's really a lot of fun and is really kind of like you know is what you is what I'm really looking for in Robo Hunter specifically, which is more of sort of this comedy action strip as opposed to a more straight action strip like say Judge Dredd or the VCs or something like that. I think you kind of hit that. It is Looney, and it's almost Looney Tunes-esque. Yeah, there's a, so much of just, like, you know, this thing's for jo- got got jokes and explosions, and that's a good combination for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, what, uh, what didn't thrill you this month? Was, Man, I gotta, I gotta agree with you that Wolfie Smith is just continuing to sort of not be very great. Um... I just I can't get with this character and I don't really like this and like the story feels very sort of perfunctory or something like that I really Mm. I I love the art for Wolfie Smith like Jesus Jesus Redondo does a really good job of just making these bad guys seem ugly of making like the action scenes of Wolfie sort of like doing like a Superman jump with both of his arms out that like like blast through people and like mm-hmm. you see these big things of him like jumping through a wall and like it starts with just him but like he'll like rip the front of the wall off like lifting up like a uh, like a blanket off of a bed or something like that like it just affects yeah. the whole thing around it and stuff that's really awesome and like some of the action stuff of him like riding around in a motorcycle and stuff was really neat this um this weekend yeah and that image of him blasting into Kramer's house on the motorcycle and stuff was really neat <laughs> But I wish it was better served by this story that's just sort of about this guy I don't really like and his sort of plain old adventures, I guess. Like, at this point, we've just sort of dropped... 
the what we've been talking about we're about to start a, like a not a whole new adventure but this whole thing's about to go in a new weird direction that's sort of i don't know we'll see how it goes next next episode basically <laughs> great um but yeah that's i mean i i do want to say again that i feel like wolfie is just sort of not right for 2000 ad i guess as opposed, I mean, as opposed yeah. to being like something that's really terrible and makes me want to like, fe- like just makes me feel bad, you know. <laughs> yes, I yeah, I, I'd like to see Esper's work, but if this is the path, then let's just not go down it. Indeed. So anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find two thousand eight. Or you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast network site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Come back next time as the quest for the Judge Child continues and we'll get to spend some time with the titular kid with the ain't himself and his angel gang captors he's not all that he seems <gasps> besides that prepare yourself to reach the center of the mind of wolfie smith oh. or the stainless steel rat to finally save the world the vcs to clean up and the god droid to eat an orange with his grandson if you get godfather references um <laughs> <laughs> because we're on the verge of a new listener episode, which means oh, yes. all of our current storylines have to end next episode. <laughs> oh my god. Are you guys ready? 52 and 53, these are big episodes for us. I mean, it's honestly like 52 and 54, because after that one we're going to take some time off to do the annuals and whatever. Oh. Anyhow, until with that in mind, until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we... Our space spinner 2000. Split dig birth rig. Split dig birth rig.